listening to the North Richland Hills Baptist Church Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to nrhbc.org. Today we continue a series entitled The Spirit-Filled Life. And the Spirit of God is given to you to be Christ in the Christian. The Spirit of God is in you as a believer to make you pure, morally pure, spiritually pure. It's to change. He is to change you. Now think about this for just a second. This change agent, the Spirit, it's in His name. The Trinity is God the Father, it's God the Son, and it's God the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's the only one of the three that gets His own adjective. And so we know what He's to do. He is to come into the life of a believer and take his holiness and make it our holiness. Now, holiness is an old word, and we think that holiness is you're against things, but holiness and happiness can go together. In fact, you will be truly happy when you're truly holy. You will be happy both in this life and the life to come when you pursue holiness, and the Spirit of God is given to you to change us. In our text today, Paul is going to identify six items that he wants to eliminate in our lives as believers, and he wants to replace it with one. In fact, the Spirit of God is to come and help us stand and shield us against temptation. Now think about this for just a second. My guess, you're like me. I want you to challenge, I want to challenge you to think about this. Every regret you've had in your life, every regret, think of a regret you've had in your life. Don't look at your spouse, just look right here. Every regret you've had in your life, every do-over you want, golfers, every mulligan in life, think about them, everything you wished you'd done, every word you'd wished you'd not said, place that you wish you had not gone, for every person you wish you had not hurt, I would say without exception, it's because you failed to handle temptation. And so the Spirit of God has come to assist you and change you and shield you from temptation. Now, it's not a sin to have temptation. Jesus was tempted. He didn't sin. And he tells us in the Lord's Prayer how to pray that we be delivered from evil and temptation. And the Spirit of God, again, is inside of us. So here's a sentence I want us to capture, and I want to repeat it over and over again. The Holy Spirit is Christ in the Christian. The Holy Spirit is Christ in the Christian. As Jesus was the disciples, the Spirit of God is for us. As Jesus was those 12 disciples, how they treated him, we're to treat the Spirit of God the same way. August 31st, Arizona Christian University did a survey. More than half of those who self-identified themselves as believers, when asked about the Holy Spirit, said the Spirit of God is a symbolic power only, and the Spirit of God is not a person. More than half, when asked on a survey, identified and said the Spirit of God is not a person, but the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, is just a symbol of God's power. I hope that you know better than that. I hope that you know that the Spirit of God is just as much God, just as much of a person as God the Father and God the Son is. And you have a tremendous gift. You have a tremendous ally with the Holy Spirit. Beginning in Ephesians 5, I want to just 
move back over those verses that were read so well a moment ago. The Bible says this, but sexual immorality and all impurity, count the six now. He wants to pull six from you. Count the six. Sexual immorality, all impurity, covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or pure or impure or is covetous, notice he repeats those three from verse 3, that is an idolater, has no, look at these words, a warning, a certainty, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. That's heaven. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Verses 3 through 6 are all a downer. They're all a downer. It's don't do this and don't do that. And if you do any of this, the wrath of God's going to come on you and you'll never see heaven. And you'll have no partner with God, partnership with God, and you'll have, you don't want any partnership with anybody that does those things. They're all a downer, and we need every word of those. Sometimes we need the coach to talk to us straight. Sometimes we just need to have the teacher come and say, bless your heart, but your writing skills stink. <laughs> and we need you to pull it up. And so the scripture is going to speak to us that way. So steal yourself for just a moment. Look with me at the first of six in which the Bible's calling on us to eliminate. Notice first the word sexual immorality. Sexual immorality. In fact, the Bible says at the end of verse 3, these should not even be named among you. So here's the standard. My coach in the NFL, he talks about the standard is the standard. Here's the standard. That these sins, these vices, these behaviors should be so far removed from the people of God that when the people on the outside look in, they wouldn't even be named. They wouldn't even connect it with any of us. Oh, that that were true. And the first of which he mentions is sexual immorality. Now, you may have an old translation. It may have the word fornication in it. Sexual immorality is any sexual activity outside of marriage. The only sex I should have, the only sex, sexual activity I should have, is in the confines of marriage. Now, you probably know that. If you're in a church service today, that probably is not news to you. But when we think about the Bible, we think about sex, we generally think that the Bible has two messages about sex. Don't do it. And if you have to do it, that's because of children. But nothing be further from the truth. In fact, this word sexual morality, let's talk about sex in the Bible for just a moment. Because the issue is, Typically, we either despise sex or we deify sex. We despise it or we deify it. Now, given those two choices, what do you think America's doing with it? Now, they're not despising it. They're deep. It's amazing what they can sell with sex. You know, dentists now, I make sexy teeth. <laughs> all right, all right. If you're a dentist in here making sexy teeth, God bless you. But we, we don't need to... We don't need to despise it either. America has deified it. America has broken the boundaries, the barricades that God has given. And God has given this enjoyable, pleasurable gift, is a gift from God. And it's a gift that he puts barricades there. Like the prescription that my doctor may give me, he would tell me or she would tell me, take, with, take after a meal or don't take while driving. Those aren't negatives. 
Those are positives. That physician, those people writing that are telling me good things so that I would be healthy. And the Bible is teaching us about sex in an important way. Now, if you were to go to a computer and type in the word Bible and sex, make sure you put the word Bible, not just sex, when you do that. If you did a search on it, you might think that the only scriptures pertaining to the word sex has the word sex in there. But there's so much more than that. Let me give you just a sampling of these. The Bible says, by him all things were created, Colossians 1. So sex is created by God. The Bible says, in him all things hold together. So sex continues to exist by the will of God. The Bible says everything created by God is good, so sex is good. The Bible says nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving. So we're to give thanks to God for sex. He put all things under his feet, Ephesians 1 says. So sex is subject to Christ. Behold, Jesus says, I'm making all things new. He makes sex new. All things are lawful, 1 Corinthians 10 says. Within the confines of marriage, sex is permitted and it's to be enjoyed. The Bible says, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. And so we're to even do sex for the glory of God. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, everything is made holy by the word of God and prayer. So sex is to be sanctified or made holy by the word of God and prayer. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6, I will not be enslaved by anything. So we're to be on guard not to be enslaved by sex. In the context of marriage, sex is a gift to humans. And if you think the message of the Bible, teenagers, is don't do it, and then if you need to do it, have children, you're not familiar with this one book of the Bible that pastors like me are cowards to even get near called the Song of Solomon. Because it's a celebration of sex inside marriage, and it's, it's erotic. There's things there that would make all of us just blush. The challenge is we're getting our cues about sex outside these walls from that box in our home. And the box in our home, the television set or YouTube says, marital sex is boring and routine. If you want to have great sex, you've got to go do it with somebody else that you barely met. And that breaks everything in God's Word. And the word sexual morality here is fulfilling your sexual pleasures outside the confines, outside the parameters of the Bible. So let me help you with this. The word sexual immorality there in verse 3, you can write the word pornea. It's the Greek word pornea. Now, what English word do we get from that? Yeah, you don't have to be a brain surgeon or rocket science to figure that one out. Our word pornography comes from the Greek word pornea. And here's a, here's a metaphor. Here's an image I want you to hold on to. Pornography is toilet water. If you take a cup, a clear cup, Go to your toilet and then put it to your mouth. That's what you're doing with pornography. Now, pornography in the beginning is going to feel pleasurable, and that drink's going to feel like it's quenching something. But the aftertaste is going to be destructive. It's pleasurable at first, but it's disgusting afterwards. afterwards. And pornography is inciting lust. It stirs it up, and it's killing us. One thing you're passages of scripture that I remember with this is Proverbs chapter 6. Can a man, can a man put fire in his lap? Can a man put fire by his chest and not be burned? And then the next verse, two verses later, it says in verse 29 of Proverbs 6, 
so Proverbs 6, he who goes into his neighbor's wife, he who goes to his neighbor's wife, none who touches her will go unpunished. So this is a metaphor of what sexual desire, if it's not within the confines, the barricades, the, the parameters that God has given us. And I want everyone in the sound of my voice, and all of you watching online today to hear me clearly, pornography is a ramp. It is a ramp that is killing America, it's killing marriages. I've watched over 20 years of pastoral ministry, and I can fill this morning and the next week, story after story, of just those who've ramped up on pornography in secret. Now, I'm going to do everything I can today to speak with verbal modesty. I know I've got kids in the room, and I've got kids that are going to be here today too, so I want to do that with verbal modesty. There was a man that sat in this worship center several years ago, no longer here. Beautiful wife, two beautiful kids. Had a secret pornography issue that he would not discuss. And then he would go overseas on business trips. And as he did so, unbeknownst to him, his device, his phone, was tied into other devices. So she could see in real time him texting a prostitute. And that would go on, and she would know that. And they would get back together, and she would confront him and try to make... I promise you, if you were to talk to this young man 10 years before he did it, he would not imagine what he would do, that he would connect with a prostitute, that he would leave his beautiful wife and leave his two elementary school-age kids. And that's exactly what he did. And he was ramping up. He was inciting an appetite for lust that because it went beyond the barricades, went beyond the parameters of marriage, he could not satisfy in his marriage. And pornography will be a ramp to lead you to do terrible things, awful things. And every father and grandfather and mother and grandmother ought to be having multiple conversations with the next generation. I didn't say one, I said multiple. Because this generation is watching more pornography than any other generation in the past. Maybe there's more pornography being watched presently than the cumulative. So the Bible here says in verse 3, sexual immorality. It's the word pornea. The second word, look at that word, it says all impurity. All impurity. You and I could translate that word as filthiness. Just filthiness. And the two, the word all impurity and the word sexual immorality, the combination of the two is to have a screening effect, to have a cumulative catching effect, like putting infielders in the baseball, making sure you catch everything. And that's what Paul's doing is he's inspired by the Spirit to write verse 3 to ensure that everything that's outside, again, the confines of marriage, he's asking you for your holiness and happiness, put the brakes to. Now, because I'm nearly 50 and because I've dealt with this for so many decades, I want to be crystal, crystal clear, and I want to be specific. God is asking you to put the brakes on the following. Put the brakes, not the accelerator. The brakes on homosexuality, sex outside of marriage, adultery, swinging, friends with benefits, bisexuality, rape, polygamy, sexting, prostitution, pedophilia, sinful lust, incest, and anything else they invent by the time this message is over. What I'm telling you is all those things, first I'm telling you they're ramped up by pornography. Today's sexual appetite will be increased when you feed on that, 
and you will do more and more aberrant things, things I just mentioned that you wouldn't thought you would have done five years ago. And none of those things are going to lead to your happiness. If I talk to you five to ten years and you're honest with me, you would tell me all these things are killing me, they're hurting me. Now, here's the thing in your generation. Not only are we doing this, but now we're identifying ourselves with our sin. As if because I like to eat, you know, God made me a glutton. Don't look at my waist. Just look right here at me. You just keep your face right here at me, all right? And so you get my point, that we identify ourselves by our sin. So again, let me just be really, really clear. The only naked woman you should see is your wife. And the only naked man you should see is your husband. And this will lead you to a lifetime of happiness. It will lead you to a lifetime of happiness. And again, the Bible's saying here at the end of verse 3 that these six behaviors should not even be mentioned. They shouldn't even be named among God's people. They should be so far. Now, is there forgiveness? Yes, we'll get to that in just a moment. But look at the third word. It's the word covetousness. Covetousness. It's a word that means greedy. And probably here, Paul is talking about a greediness for sexual appetite. He could be talking about greediness like money, but he's likely speaking about it's a sexually freighted word. It means greed for someone else's body, a sexual greed. This is the idea that sex, though it's pleasurable, I would say it makes no difference when I'm doing this. Who I'm with, I just got to get my appetite fed. Rather than great sex being a giving to the person of the opposite sex, as they give back to me in that act. That's love. Lust says, you for me. Love, me for you. And if you get two people that put one another in front of themselves, she puts him before herself, and he puts her before himself, you've got something to spike a football about. That's really good. And so sex is the relational cement that belongs only in a marriage. And 26 years I've been married. And you know what sex is? When Sex is when you take off all your clothes with someone. And think about it, the way God designed marriage and that process of getting to know one another. You know, prior to when Tracy and I took off our clothes with one another, we were financially honest with one another. We were vulnerable about the family. This is the skeletons I have in my closet. She said, this is the skeletons in my closet. We got to know everybody. You know, all that kind of stuff, who we're going to be eating Thanksgiving with for the next half a century, right? We began to talk about all the things that were in our lives and all of our secrets, and then the last barrier came down. We took our clothes off, and we hoped that one another didn't laugh at one another, right? That's what it means. That's what it means. You're vulnerable. When I have sex with one person for one lifetime, it says I'm giving my life to you completely. I belong to you. You belong to me. And we belong to one another permanently. Now, these three words here, there's a total of six. In verse 4, we'll see the next three. You need to know that Jesus Christ, Mr. Believer, you need to know that Jesus Christ, Mrs. Believer, he died for you. He died on the cross to forgive you and to cleanse you from such things. I want to remind you that Jesus was kicked. He was beaten. He was speared in the side. And then after that, his hands and his feet were crucified, nailed to a cross, and he died within six hours because he was beaten so thoroughly. All this, when you trust in Christ, makes you a believer. He took a punishment you deserve, 
He took a punishment you deserve so you'd be forgiven and cleansed. And Jesus Christ died far more for you to claim Jesus and go do these things. To say that I'm going to be a Jesus follower and then go around and do these things, on the other hand, he died for more than that. So I'm calling you. I'm calling you to holiness. And by calling you to holiness, I'm calling you to happiness. I'm calling you to a lifetime of no regret. I'm calling you to a thorough and happy marriage, one where you're open with the next generation. I didn't know it. I didn't know it, but when the kids get to be teenagers, they will look at mom and dad and say, what did you two do? I didn't expect that one at 20 and 21 and 22. I wasn't thinking that way. But they will turn to you, and you need to be honest at that moment. And so here's something so powerful in the Word of God. Avoid sexual immorality for your happiness. Avoid all impurity for your happiness. And avoid covetousness or greed. And then in verse 4, he continues by talking about three verbal vices. First, he says, filthy talk. Let there be no filthiness. Quite simply, you're not to have a filthy mouth. When the Lord God comes into your life, you're forgiven of your sins, the Spirit of God comes inside you, it ought to change your tongue, it ought to change your mouth. And specifically, he's speaking here of crudeness, which we'll talk about more than just in a moment. I think here of the Welsh Revival, 1904-1905. The country of Wales in the United Kingdom, on on the west side there, if I've got my geography correct, a great movement of the Spirit of God happened. And those of you watching online, get this. It happened where just thousands, thousands were coming and embracing Christ, and the Spirit of God was so prevalent. It was something that was so powerful. Bars closed down. Nobody would go to the bars during these. The police had nothing to do. The dockets of the judges were completely blank because people were in the house of God. They were worshiping. It was a movement. It was awakening. Get this. The horses and the mules could not understand the commands by the miners. Why? Because they weren't cussing any longer. The Spirit of God had gripped them in the revival, so the horse and the mule couldn't understand the command without the curse word. What happens when the Spirit of God gets a hold of you? He changes the way you speak. And the Bible says, don't have filthy mouth. No profanity. Look at this carefully. I, I know you and me. We talk one way in the house of God, and then we get on the construction site, and what do we do out there? Yeah, I had a dad. I, I know what he, he was in construction. I know what they say. I pastored in the West Texas with those old workers, right? Keep it clean. No yellow flags. What you're saying during the week is what you say on Sunday. And so you need to keep it clean, keep the filthiness. Here's the second thing in verse 4, fifth of the sixth. No foolish talk. There's no foolish talk. When the Spirit of God's inside of you, you may get into a situation where there's just foolish talk. Let me give you a couple examples. Could be conspiracy theories and politics. That could be some foolishness stuff. And you may be having those talks instead of Bible study in this next hour. You need to find to have a happy way. Hey, can we talk about something different? Just you, you, you work on that. If you don't know how to do that, man, if, you, if you're like me, you don't know how to transition the subject, just ask your wife. She'll tell you how to do it. When you're converted to Christ, your mouth changes. Here's the sixth, a total of six. Watch it. He says, nor crude joking. He says it's out of place. Now, I want you to notice, sexual morality is mentioned three times in the matter of two verses. Sexual morality in verse three, this word here, crude joking, as well as impurity. 
All three of those, he's speaking to the church at Ephesus and speaking to Northridge Nils and Cross Church, and he says to us how to keep it clean. The Bible commands you not to joke about sex. You're not to joke about it. You're not to have crude jokes. You're to be modest in your clothing, and you'll be modest with your mouth. That's what God's calling us to. And friend, there's something so powerful here. Something so powerful. You know, I shared with you how about pornography is the ramp. And I may have shared with you in the past that my good friend Glenn, of my, one of my best friends, pastor, he and I went to seminary together. We were doing ministry together, and we would get together several times a year, and we'd talk. Unbeknownst to me, he was doing pornography for more than a decade. He was keeping it secret from us. And then it turns out he was having three to four affairs and lying about that for more than a decade in a church in East Texas. Unwanted advances, women of the church, and sometimes they were wanted advances. And so it all culminated on the 19th of March last year. I was meeting that week and that day about how to handle COVID and canceling services. How I wish I'd gone the long view where he was. Because the day that the elders of that church, the leaders of that church said, you no longer have a job. You have 24 hours to resign. On that day, they said, there's a hotel charge. What about this? And his wife is there hearing it. And they leave in two separate cars. And he takes his, he takes his new Chevrolet pickup truck at 100 miles an hour and puts it on a bridge stanchion. And he'll never see the light of day again. He left a 16-year-old, a 13-year-old, and a 10-year-old boy. And not a week goes by that I don't think about my best friend. Pornography. That's where it led. He developed an appetite that he could not, he could not hold. And so he broke out of the marriage. And so one is pornography with this, and two is secrets and lies. Right punch, pornography. Left punch, secrets and lies. You want to break this hold and have the Spirit of God use you in a mighty way, men? You get over here and you take secrets and lies. You, you get your best partner in life. You tell your wife. You tell your wife and great things will happen. The Bible says eliminate these six things. At the end of verse 4, it says do something the Spirit of God can do, which is replace it with thanksgiving. All these six, by the way, you're thinking about the things that you don't have and you want. And what's the Spirit of God do? It comes into your life. And he changes you, and he says, you've got plenty, Maze. You've got plenty. You've outpunted your coverage with your wife. You've got plenty of money. You don't need this. You don't need that thankfulness. You see it in verse 4? The Spirit of God, when he comes into your life, he gives you thankfulness. There's a word here in verse 5, and I want to pause, and I want to make sure all of us see it and hear it, because there's a certainty to it. There's a certainty to it. Paul will take in verse 5 and repeat the three vices of verse 3, and then he will warn us. He will warn us with these words, for you can be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, who is covetous, who is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of Christ and God. So listen carefully. The Bible's telling you, if you claim Jesus Christ on one hand, but you go about your life persisting in these sins with no repentance, no break, you habitually go through this, you claim Jesus, but you do that, the Bible is telling you that you will have no place in heaven. You can be sure of it. In verse 6, it says the wrath of God will come down on you. This is a downer. Nobody wants to hear this stuff. 
My uncle years ago said when I was going to be a pastor, he said, hope you're not going to be one of those hellfire and brimstone guys. Well, today I am. It's in the Bible. Paul says, you can't do that. You can't be a walking contradiction. It doesn't add up. It doesn't compute. You've got to stop the one. And I've got good news for you. There's tremendous hope if you're an addict today. Because Jesus Christ can come into your life in the Spirit of God and change you and give you a thankful heart. No Christian here today is sin-free. The people in this room are not stained glass and organs. There's lots of pornography being viewed in this room. If we didn't block it, there would be people who would watch it in this service. How do I know that? I talked to the computer guy. I've been around here for about 10 years. But when you meet Jesus Christ and you get real with him, the intensity of sin and the frequency with the temptation comes, it will lessen. The frequency and the intensity of sin, it still comes, but it will lessen over time. And I, how, how do I know that? Because look at the letter. We're reading a letter dedicated to the believers in the ancient church of Ephesus in what is modern Turkey. We'll be there as a trip in June. I hope you'll come with me. And what you'll find in the ruins there will be things that as I lead that trip, I'll have to find euphemisms to describe because you're not supposed to talk about those things. This is one of the seven, seven wonders of the world, the ancient world. And Diana, Artemis, had multiple breasts. And you came in to worship Artemis, you came in to worship Diana, and you did sex acts because your physical sex act was supposedly supposed to change the cult, the agricultural around and bring the rains and all this crazy stuff. How do I know you can change? Because in the midst of the slime pit of hell called Ephesus, God put a colony of heaven. And he can do that today. He can radically change us. There's a certainty here. And I want you to hear your pastor, and I want you to hear the Word of God. Because you can change if you repent. But you've got to get serious about it. You've got to want it. You've got to want this. You play around with it, you'll be messing around with this for decades. But if you want it, and you tell God in honesty today, give me this. Give me cleanse. Cleanse me. Make me pure. Make me whole again. Wipe me clean. There is a God in heaven who will send his angels in the spirit, and they will, not, they will not walk, they will not tarry, they don't drag their foot, they don't lollygag, they will run to you. Here's the last thing I want you to see in this text. A change is indeed possible. How do I change? You change when you cooperate and work with the Spirit of God. It's not just Sunday morning church, it's not just doing a little devotion from here to this, but it's when your heart changes. Woody Allen... In 1992, was asked, how could you carry on a 12-year secret affair on your wife with your stepdaughter? And that's when Woody Allen said this famous line, the heart wants what the heart wants. And the Bible agrees with that. And that's why the Spirit of God comes and changes your heart. Some of you are toying around with Christianity and you're dealing with this stuff, and you're like pasting rose petals on a dead bush. It may look good for an hour, but it's not going to look good for long. Remember the concept of that movie, Weekends with Burning? They drag that dead guy around everywhere. Without Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God inside of you, that's what you are. That's who you are. That's what I was. You need to be made alive, and he changes you from the inside. Until you know Christ, your heart is dead. The Spirit comes. How do I know that? Because verse 1, look at this. It says, therefore, be imitators of God. 
be imitators of God as beloved children. If that were in the Muslim Bible, if that were in the Catholics, if that were in any of the world religions, this is what it would say. If you want to be a child of God, then you need to imitate God. But that's not what that says, is it? It says because you are a child of God, you have the ability to imitate God. Because the one moment you come to faith in Christ, a supernatural thing happens. The third person of the Trinity comes and resides in you, and he begins to change your heart. So the Holy Spirit is Christ in the Christian. The Holy Spirit is Christ in the Christian. Say that with me. The Holy Spirit is in the Christian. So I want to conclude by just exhorting you, and I want to encourage you. Don't despair. You don't have to fight your spiritual battles alone. The Spirit of God is in you. Don't be despondent. You don't have to fight the temptation of this world, the lust of the flesh, and the roaring line of Satan all by yourself. The Spirit of God is in you. The Spirit of God himself has taken up residence in the believer's heart. And don't be discouraged. The last enemy will be defeated. There's a day coming when Scott Mays will stand before Jesus Christ, complete, perfect, morally, spiritually. Not because I'm anything. It's because the Spirit of God is in me. You're not alone in this life. You're not by yourself to defeat these temptations. You are Clark Kent and Superman resides in you. And you are a fool if you're pushing the bus when Clark Kent is sitting inside of it. And so I call upon you to tell you that Jesus Christ designed all this by sending the Spirit to live inside the believer. He didn't send an angel to live inside of you. He didn't send a pastor to live inside of you. He didn't put your godly grandmother inside you. He didn't put a saint inside you. You've got the Spirit of God himself in you. You can accomplish this. Let's pray together. Let's go to the Lord together. Father in heaven, oh, how we need the hope of your fresh wind of spirit come in and change us and shape us. How parents in this room who are fighting against this godless culture, they need the hope of the Holy Spirit. They need to hear the words of the Father and the Son and the Spirit say, I've got your child. I've got your teen. We're going to go through this together. And we need to hear your voice say, there are prodigals. There are men and women who go away from Jesus and rebel, but they come back, they repent. Oh, God, give us a spirit of repentance this morning. And so I'm just going to ask that you would bow your head quietly and you'd shut your eyes. And if God's going to do anything with this message and anything with you, then you're going to need to be specific and repent before the Lord today. So he's calling to mind things that you've done the crude jokes that you've spoken, the immodesty, both verbally and physically. You're talking, he's talking to you about the things you've seen, the relationships you've been involved with, the flirting, the almost. I want you to confess that to the Lord right now. I want you to tell the Lord, you're deadly serious about changing this. You need his help. And you call it what he calls it, sin. Oh, God in heaven, come in and flood this room of hope, of the love and the grace of God. Nothing can change this. We're with the dead walking cadavers and pasted rose petals on a dead bush without you. And how we need to know your fresh love of the cross of Jesus. 
So fill us in this room with the Spirit of God today. Fill us in a fresh new way. Put a smile on our face with confessed sin and teach us in a powerful way that you love us. And you love us so much you will not leave us the way we are. In Christ's name I pray. Amen and amen. Thanks for listening to the North Richland Hills Baptist Church Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to nrhbc.org.